your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Good afternoon, and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, an international nonprofit organization dedicated to providing support, education, and hope to people with cancer and their loved ones at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. Before we begin today's topic, let's move to a segment we call Cancer in the News, which highlights the latest cancer headlines. I'm Bill Schaefer, and this is today's Cancer in the News. The number of adults who smoke in the United States has dropped below 20% for the first time on record, but cigarettes still kill almost half a million people a year, health officials said on Thursday. About 19.8% of the United States adults, over 43 million people, were smokers in 2007. That was a percentage point below the 2006 figure and followed three years of little progress, the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said in a report. Smoking and secondhand smoke kill 443,000 people annually from cancer, lung disease, heart disease, and other causes, the CDC said. Half of all long-term smokers, especially those who start as teens, die prematurely, many in middle age. And smoking burns a large hole in the economy, including direct health care expenditures of $96 billion and productivity losses of $97 billion. The economic burden of smoking on the United States hit $193 billion per year. Smoking became widespread in the United States when soldiers fighting in Europe in World War I were given cigarettes, which by that time were made by machine rather than by hand. After the war, smoking by women also became more accepted socially. U.S. health officials began systematically tracking smoking rates in the 1960s. At that time, approximately 42% of U.S. adults were smokers. There are three major recent factors in driving down smoking. Smoking bans in public places, higher taxes that drive up prices, and more medications to help people quit. The CDC said smoking still causes at least 30% of cancer deaths, including more than 80% of lung cancer deaths, as well as 80% of deaths from the lung ailment chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. The CDC report found that 17% of women smoke compared to 22% of men. Whites, at 21%, smoked at a higher rates than blacks, 20%, or Hispanics, 13%. Asian Americans were lowest at 10%, and American Indians and Alaska Natives were highest at 36%. In other news, a recent study revealed that while low-dose CT of the chest can identify lung cancers at an early, more treatable stage, it can also lead to unnecessary major surgery that detects no cancer. The study included 3,642 subjects between the ages of 50 and 79 years of age who were screened with low-radiation CT. Overall, 36 subjects who had an abnormality detected on the initial or repeat CT screen ended up undergoing a major thoracic operation that resulted in a non-cancer diagnosis. 
of 82 subjects who underwent chest surgery to remove all or part of the lung or less invasive video-assisted thoracoscopic surgery to rule out malignancy, 28 of these patients ultimately received a non-cancer diagnosis. Treatment guidelines for non-calcified lung nodules have been suggested by several groups with watchful waiting the preferred option in some situations. If adhered to, these guidelines should be effective in reducing unnecessary surgical procedures. I'm Bill Schaefer, and that's today's Cancer in the News. If you've listened to this show, you've probably heard me say that there are over 12 million cancer survivors living in the United States today, more than ever before. But of the 1.4 million people who will be diagnosed with the disease this year, there is unfortunately one type of cancer that will claim more lives than any other. It accounts for approximately 15% of all new cancers and is the second most commonly diagnosed cancer in men behind prostate cancer and in women only second to breast cancer. I'm talking today about lung cancer. November is National Lung Cancer Awareness Month, and on today's show, we're going to take a closer look at this cancer that will claim the lives of an estimated 162,000 people in 2008. There are two types of lung cancer, small cell and non-small cell. Together, they will be diagnosed in one in 13 men and one in 16 women. These numbers include both smokers and non-smokers, and you can see the tremendous impact that lung cancer has on our population. Um, We are joined today by two wonderful guests uh, that will help us shed some light uh, on this important topic. First, we have Lynn Mayo. Lynn is a lung cancer survivor and a participant at our wellness community of Greater Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky. Welcome, Lynn. Hi. And we are also joined by Kay Cofrancesco. Kay is the Director of External Relations for the Lung Cancer Alliance, the only national nonprofit organization dedicated solely to patient support and advocacy for people with living with lung cancer and those who are at risk for the disease. Thanks for joining us, Kay. Hi, Kim. Great to be here. Uh, both of you bring very important perspective to, uh, perspectives to our discussion today, so let's jump right in. Lynn, we understand that you are actually a two-time cancer survivor. We want to kind of take a step back in time. We want you to tell us what it was like for you when you were first diagnosed with lung cancer and then when you faced that, that, that recurrence of cancer. Tell us a little bit about your story, Lynn. Okay. Uh, I started out with... Um it started out with up in my head where I couldn't think of things that I wanted to say. I knew mm-hmm. what I wanted to say, but I couldn't get that, that out. So mm-hmm. I ended up going to the emergency room with my daughter and found out that I had an egg-sized tumor in my lung and a cherry-sized tumor in my brain. So wow. the lung cancer had metastasized to my brain. And um, actually at the time, because of it was in the brain, I had very flat feelings, so I didn't have quite the emotion that most people would have when they get such terrible news. Mm. Uh, but eventually, after surgery, the brain surgery, uh, I, it finally became a realization to me what, what I was diagnosed with, and uh, it was very scary. Uh, my daughter and I had a big, long conversation about it and cried together and hugged each other during the night. Uh, it was a pretty scary place to be. I um, am so thankful and grateful that I have my family to share some of the scariness and uh, all the other things that go with go, go along with cancer. Uh, that makes me very grateful. So, Lynn, what, what was your uh, what was your treatment like once they discovered this 
they discovered this uh, tumor in your lung and, and in the brain. Um, what, what, what did they do? Did they do surgery? Did you have chemotherapy? What was the, what was the treatment like? I actually had all of those. I had brain surgery first, mm-hmm. and then uh, I had what they call a mediastinoscopy, where they go in down through the, uh, the center of the ribs or the, the lung and try to get um, um, samples of the, the lymph nodes to see if there's any cancer because they wouldn't take that lung, that lung cancer tumor out unless they knew there was no lung, uh, low involvement in the lymph nodes, which luckily there were not, so they were able to take the, the uh, lung, uh, the upper lobe of my uh, lung, right lung take, to take out. Mm-hmm. And then I had uh, three, four uh, sessions of uh, chemotherapy, mm-hmm. with two different drugs. Uh, that was um, very, that was... The worst of all, much worse than any of the surgeries. The lung surgery was probably not a, a great thing because of the tube that I had in, but the, the chemotherapy pretty much kicks your butt. Um, yeah. it, it really knocks you down in many, many ways, mentally and physically. Yeah. And when the doctors gave you this diagnosis, when they discovered these tumors, did they, did, you know, how, what was it like getting that news from them? Did they tell you that they thought they could treat it, that they thought that they could manage it? Did they tell you that it was, you know, could be pretty serious? I mean, what, you know, how did they communicate with you about that? Well, the first, I, I, the first doctor that I went to, I, there was no discussion about, I, I, and I didn't ask the question either, how much time or how much, how much, um, what is my prognosis? I didn't ask that question, but I went on a second opinion, which worked out really very it was perfect. I knew when I went, I felt like this is what I need to have done. Yeah. They, that's when they suggested the, um, to remove the tumor, if that was a possibility, as long as there were no lymph node involvement, and the chemotherapy. It was pretty scary. Um, yeah. I, I think I got a 15% uh, chance of recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not, not real great, but, um, you know, at that point in time, I, I would have taken anything I yeah. could. Yeah. Great doctors, and uh, they took good care of me. Well, Kay, I know that you are no stranger to to Lynn's story, and uh, I know that you hear uh, stories of of lung cancer every day from across the country. Tell us a little bit, Kay, about the Lung Cancer Alliance. How did the organization form? What's its mission? And, and, um, you know, how do you interface with people like, like Lynn? Well, first of all, Lynn, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, it, it truly is remarkable, and it sounds like you've got a wonderful support system in your family and friends. And, um, you know, I wish you continued success um, and continued good health. But um, Lung Cancer Alliance, we half of what we do is that patient support um, side of the disease. And so we have an information line that receives between 500 and 750 calls a month, calls from patients, survivors like Lynn, family members, caregivers that ask questions about the disease, where they can go for help. Um, and we provide that information. Um, we actually provide that in concert in many ways with the wellness community. Um, on our frankly speaking about lung cancer, we've been fortunate enough to, to partner with with Kim and, and others from the wellness community. And so when we provide our patient information, we include that as a, a huge piece of, of what we give the community. Um, in addition, we have online support communities. 
We have a um, peer-to-peer mentoring program as well as um, what we think of as a very robust and um, kind of full-service website. So when was the organization founded, Kay? Oh, sorry. That's okay. Um, That's okay. <laughs> we were founded in 1997, actually, out on the West Coast, and about five years ago moved the operations to Washington, D.C., so we could still maintain the patient support side of what we did. But now we also have a strong focus in advocacy because it is a political problem, not a science problem. The scientists are out there, and we need to fund the research for for this disease so that we can give patients like Lynn more of a, of a chance so that their prognosis isn't necessarily so bleak when they're diagnosed. Was the organization founded, Kay, by people who were impacted by lung cancer? It was founded by a woman who lost her best friend to the disease, and as he was going through all of his treatments, she promised that she would do something to help. And so she founded the organization and built the organization on the foundation of that support, and then it you know, over time, morphed into the advocacy as well. So you were founded on the West Coast, moved to Washington, D.C. five years ago. Mm-hmm. You're doing, uh, you're providing education, you're doing advocacy on the Hill, you were talking to a lot of people across the country who have lung cancer. Right. Great. Well, yeah. Excellent. All right, we're going to hear more about uh, about the Lung Cancer Alliance, November's National Lung Cancer uh, Awareness Month, and we have two wonderful uh, guests with us on the show today. We are going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Your life, your health, your network. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. It attacks the brain, and you might not know what hit you. It's a stroke, and it can cripple or kill you. If suddenly you're numb or weak on one side, limb, or face, it could be a stroke. Get help. There's no time to waste. It could even be a sudden, severe headache without cause. If you wait to get help, time lost is brain lost. Maybe it's a loved one slurring their speech or dizzy. Call 911 and get medical help quickly. There are even more symptoms that I did not mention. So call or hit the web for information and prevention. Blacks have a higher occurrence. Do you want to know more? Call 1-888-4-STROKE or visit www.strokeassociation.org. High blood pressure, diabetes, and obesity. All make the risk of a stroke more likely. But remember, if it happens, do not delay. Or disability might be the price you pay. 
a public service message brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Lung Cancer. I am Kim Tibaldo, and today we're joined by Lynn Mayo, a lung cancer survivor and participant at our wellness community of Greater Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky, and Kay Co-Francesco, who is the Director of External Relations at the Lung Cancer Alliance. November, folks, is National Lung Cancer Awareness Month, so we're focusing on this cancer today, a cancer that will account for 15, 15% of all new cancer diagnoses this year. Lynn, I want to go back to you. You've told us a little bit about your your, your personal story. Um, I know that uh, your lung cancer um, recurred. Can you just tell us a little bit about how that happened, what that was like? Yeah, yeah actually, it was uh, the same year that I was diagnosed, which was 2006. Um, later, uh, toward the end of the year, um, just normal checkups like I do. I get, I get a brain scan, an MRI, and I get a, a CT scan. Yes. On this, the MRI, my neurosurgeon found... Um, two very small tumors in my temple area of my brain. So he sent me to a radiologist, and it's a special radiology. It's called radiosurgery. Okay. So that's, I ended up finding out there were three very small tumors, and um, that really knocked me for a loop because I kind of got a little to the place where I was thinking, oh, maybe mm. I'm going to beat this. But yeah. that knocked me for a loop. It scared me to death. Never, and plus I've never been through, didn't have any radiation. So this was, a, and it's a different kind of radiation than most people have. It's yeah. a aerobic type radiation where they make a mask of your face and lock your face, mm. lock your head in. Uh, so that was kind of scary. But yeah, yeah. the experience, uh, the actual experience of having the, the radiation was quite really wonderful because I, it took an hour but I had absolutely no side effects whatsoever, wow. so um, it it really was was a pretty nice way to have something like that. And uh, when was this, Lynn? This was um, in 2006, the very end in November of 2006. Wow! And uh, so far, so far, good scans, all of that. So far, good scans so far, and I'm wow. now I'm down to where I don't have to go to for uh, now. Instead of every three months, I go every six months. Wow. So that's kind of scary and kind of good. You know? Yeah, at the same time, right? Yeah. Bittersweet, right. right? Yes. Well, Lynn, I know that you participate in some of our programs at the Wellness Community of Greater Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky. Um, how did you find out about the Wellness Community? And if you could tell us maybe a little bit about what kinds of programs you participate in there. Sure. Um, I actually have a couple friends that are nurses, and they had recommended it to me. Plus, um, I had heard a little bit about it, but not not much. So one day my daughter and I went and talked to the program coordinator, who Bonnie Crawford, who is a wonderful, just just a great, great person. Yes, she is. Yes, Showed she us is. around the facility, talked to us, very kind, and that just, you know, said to me, hey, I, I want to come here. So my one daughter and I came. She went to the caregiver group, and I went to the support group, and I continue to this day going to the support group. 
I've participated in, uh, frankly speaking, about lung cancer mm-hmm. twice. Uh, I've been to, um, they, have, they have potluck dinners. Um, they have, actually, I just finished an Active for Life class that, that, uh, uh, that was a 20-week class that has been very influential for me. I mean, it's gotten me to, to, to where I have added a lot more activity into my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's, I, I can't say enough good things. I've been to some of the talks where you go and they, there's a theme uh, for the talk, like um, what's, what's next in your life, and people come and sit and talk, and those things are to hear other people's story is so encouraging. I, I can't, I cannot say enough good things about the wellness community. It well, has been so done so much for me and my family. It's well, I'm wonderful. not going to argue with you, Lynn. <laughs> it is, I mean that, and I sincerely mean that. Well, that's fantastic to hear because that's really our mission. Um, but to hear your kind of your your, your own personal story uh, about that is really so meaningful to us. Um, you know, Kay, we, we, we've heard a little bit more about Lynn's experience with the wellness community and how she attended the Frankly Speaking About Lung Cancer workshop. Um, it's an educational workshop and booklet that the wellness community had the honor to develop in collaboration with the Lung Cancer uh, Alliance, and that's been such a wonderful partnership uh, between our two organizations. But, Kay, I want to drill down a little bit more about the Lung Cancer Alliance, um, you know, in addition to, frankly speaking, about lung cancer. I want you to tell me more about some of the programs and services that you offer. When You know, what are, what are some of the questions that folks are calling in um, about people with lung cancer across the country, and what are some of the kinds of programs and services that you provide to them? Well, we, um, a lot of the questions that we get are, especially after high-profile people are diagnosed with the disease, we get questions about, you know, am I at risk? Where do I go? Can I get screened? So we provide that information to um, to those at high risk for the disease. And then, <coughs> excuse me, um, like I said previously, we, we get the calls from survivors, um, from family members that, that have questions once they've gone to the doctor and, you know, then had the time to process kind of what's going on. Mm-hmm. They have the follow-up questions about, getting a second opinion, um, the innovative treatments like the radio surgery that Lynn received. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> My gosh, excuse me. So, so we try and provide that information to them on a real-time objective basis. We, um, our peer-to-peer mentoring program is just it's pretty, pretty exciting for us because people call after they've been newly diagnosed, and we can match them with a telephone buddy mm-hmm. who's been in the same Gosh, something in my throat. I'm so sorry. Um, who's been, who's gone through the same diagnosis, the same types of treatments, and is a survivor. Mm-hmm. So that gives people hope because some people call and say, you know, my, I've looked at the statistics. It doesn't look good. And we can say to them, you know, use Lynn as an example. Here is someone who was diagnosed with late stage lung cancer and is thriving. Yes. So we try and provide as much information as we can, but also hope to yeah. people. And that is so important. Trust me, that is so important that people have that hope. That's, that, that's what keeps you going. So, Kay, you mentioned one of the questions that you get when folks call in is about screening someone who feels yeah. they feel as if maybe they're in a higher risk category. Um, what, tell us what's the current debate 
on, on screening for someone who is in a high-risk category, um, you know, for, for lung cancer? What's the current recommendation around screening? Well, um, for those at high risk for the disease, and when we say high risk, we mean current smokers, former smokers with a certain pack year history, which means how many packs a day you smoked for how many years. So if you smoked one pack a day for 10 years, your 10-pack year history. Um, veterans, today's Veterans Day. Oh, sorry. Um, I don't know if, you know, veterans have a higher risk. Um, anyone with environmental exposure. So when we talk to, to people who are at high risk, we say talk to your physician mm -hmm. about the risks and benefits for a CT scan for lung cancer. There is no kind of approved screening method. You know, mammography, PSA tests, colonoscopies have been endorsed um, by the public health establishment. There is no such method that has been endorsed for lung cancer. Mm -hmm. We all know that CT scans find the disease at its earliest, most treatable stages. Mm -hmm. Now the question remains, okay, how do we do this? How do we manage this <laughs> and, and kind of go through the steps and follow someone? Because not everyone that has a nodule, it doesn't always turn into lung cancer. So it's developing the protocols and there is a 15-year study that has done just this. It's the International Early Lung Cancer Action Program, mm -hmm. and they screen those at high risk for the disease, Okay. and then they've put the protocols in place to manage this. Okay. It's an ongoing study. You know, there still is a scientific debate about this, okay. but the reality is screening's happening. So. Okay, so screening's happening. You need to talk to your doctor. There's no accepted protocol, like you said, mammography. We know that when women turn 40, they're supposed to start getting an annual mammography, and that's endorsed by the Centers for Disease Control or the National Cancer Institute. Or, so that kind of screening guideline, per se, does not yet exist for lung cancer. It, it does not, no. Okay. So you need to talk to your doctor. You need to look at your history. You need to look at your risk and really make a decision together with your physician around screening. Exactly Can I jump in here a minute? Please jump yeah. in, Lynn. Jump in. Uh, my, you know, talking about these screenings, my sister, um, who's a little bit older than I am, uh, five months after I was diagnosed was having uh, shortness of breath, and so she, I think they, her doctor ordered a chest X-ray. She got the chest X-ray. They looked at it, said, oh, you might have some scarring in there. They said, oh, we'll give you a Z-Pack, which is a, an antibiotic. She right. took that. Didn't seem to help. Uh, then she got a CT scan, which uh, the doctor still, and this was her, her primary care physician, yes. still was not able to read it. She would not. She said to me, Lynn, I would not have pursued this. She ended up going to a pulmonary man who took a biopsy and found the cancer. So it was in the same place as mine was, except hers did not metastasize anywhere else. So, and so they did, did they do surgery? They ended up, she got the same sort of treatment that I did. She was lucky that it was in a place that oh, they wow. were able to do surgery, and she got chemotherapy. So sometimes doctors don't always know either. Right. So, um, so you, you have know, to know your, know your body, really know yourself, and really be an advocate for your own health. Yes, yeah. absolutely. That's very important. And trust your instincts, really. Yeah. Yes. 
Well, we're going to take a break in just a minute, but Lynn, I just want to go uh, quickly to, um, to, to uh, you talked, you mentioned a little bit about your your family earlier, and, and obviously you've talked a little bit about what your sister uh, has been through. Um, you know, how did your friends and family help you through your own cancer experience? Just talk for a minute about that, Lynn. Uh, you know, I remember saying to my girls, because I was, I remember when it was a very tearful thing. I couldn't hardly talk about cancer without being tearful. And you I have said, two daughters, Lynn? I have two daughters, okay. yes. And I said to them, I cannot do this without your support. And, of course, they've, they, they've always been there for me. But through this, they've been there for me through the whole thing. When I went through the chemo, the surgeries, they took care of me, spent the night here a few nights. So... I, I can't say enough. I have friends also that have been very supportive to me. Um, so, I'm, And I know that I'm lucky because I know not everybody has that. But I think the support groups that you can find at the wellness community can help do a lot to overcome uh, the, a situation where you don't have a lot of family nearby. And um, I, I, to me that's the most important thing is that I've had my family and friends nearby that I can hang on to if I need them. But it's also been important for you to connect with other people who are also going through a cancer experience. Oh, yeah. We, I, we, we, we are such good buddies uh, in there, and, you know, we have all different kinds of cancer, and, you know, you begin to love people after a while. You see them every, and you, you, we've had some people that have, have not made it, and yeah. they, there's a, you know, there's a certain hole in my heart for those people, but... Um, I I love the people that I'm in with in the support room with. They're just wonderful people, and um, it helps me to get through and keep my life more um, at a higher level because of them. I've had some folks tell me it's really like a second family. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, I love them too. They're, they are like my second family. Sometimes they'll call if I'm having a problem and say, "Hey, how's that going?" you know, privately, um, outside of the group. And um, so just people that you can count on, people you can say things to that you can't say to your own family. To your own family, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break here on Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking about lung cancer today, and we will be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. Hello. Hi, Bill. Uh, This is George Dewey from up the street. Oh, hey, George. How you doing? Good, good. Say, I noticed you've been walking to work these days instead of driving, Mm. and I uh, don't quite know how to say this, but... But... But what? But... But... Your butt. Your buttocks. Your butt. I think I found your butt on my front lawn. Have you recently lost it? As a matter of fact, I have, George. It's about time someone noticed. Well, it was kind of hard to miss, if you know what I mean. Anyways, would you like it back? Would I like it back? No, not really. So it's okay if I throw it out? Sure, that's fine. Take it easy, George. Small step number eight. Walk instead of driving whenever you can. It's just one of the many small steps you can take to help you become a healthier, well, you. Get started at www.smallstep.gov and take a small step to get healthy. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. 
Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. November is National Lung Cancer Awareness Month. And today we're joined by Kay Cofrancesco from the Lung Cancer Alliance and Lynn Mayo, who is a lung cancer survivor from the Cincinnati area. Uh, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, one in 13 men will develop lung cancer along with one in 16 women. Uh, these statistics include both smokers and non-smokers. Um, Kay, I want to get to an important issue around lung cancer. We hear quite a bit with lung cancer that there are some real stigmas um, attached to the disease. Um, tell us about what some of those stigmas are that people with lung cancer face, and why does the Lung Cancer Alliance think it's important to address those issues? Well, with, with the disease, it is perceived by the general public, by, by so many people, that it was brought on by, your, by, the, by the people that were diagnosed. I mean, that it's a behaviorally driven disease. Mm-hmm. Smoked, you get lung cancer. So it's your fault. Exactly, then you deserve it. I mean, I don't know, Lynn, if when you were diagnosed and if you told people and the first question that maybe they asked you was, oh, did you smoke? Absolutely, that's very true. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I had smoked, I did smoke when I was younger for 20 years, but I haven't smoked in 28 years. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that is the first question that people ask. Yeah. And, you know, our feeling with that is to us, it doesn't matter. It's still a disease that exactly. deserves the attention from the public health establishment. So you have you have the smoker who who perhaps is diagnosed and then feels guilty. So maybe they don't want to talk about the disease, and perhaps family members feel an anger because of that stigma that it is you know self induced. Um, and, and we're really trying to break that. I mean, even even physicians and, and the public health establishment has felt that there is a lack of research funding because of the stigma, because so few people are willing to stand up and share their stories. And so it's very pervasive, and we're working to show the true face of the disease to the general public and and let people know that no one deserves lung cancer. And there is hope when you are faced with a diagnosis. 
You know, we, we've uh, heard so many people say that when they come to the wellness community, it's the first place where they actually felt like they were a person with cancer and that they actually deserved the same care and treatment and access and support that a person with any cancer uh, would deserve. And so I think that together, Kay, we're trying to work to uh, eliminate some of those stigmas and to make sure that folks do get the care and the support, you know, that they need when they face a lung cancer diagnosis. I also know, Kay, that that um, obviously we're, you know, we're seeing we're seeing a lot of deaths still from lung cancer. I know that we're getting a little bit better at treating the disease. We're making progress, but we're still seeing a lot of deaths, you know, from lung cancer. Do you think that's another reason why there's not a strong advocacy movement? Is because there are not a lot of long-term cancer survivors who are carrying that torch, so to speak. That is exactly right. You okay. made a, a comment at the beginning of the show that there are over 12 million cancer survivors um, in the country, which is phenomenal. Of those, there are less than 300,000 that are lung cancer survivors. Mm. So those survivors sometimes are too sick, or again, it's the stigma that prevents them from speaking out. So. You know, we're trying to raise the awareness, show the true face of the disease, but also motivate people to become, like we talked about earlier, their own advocates for their care that will increase survival rates, increase, you know, the flow of research funding to the disease, and then, you know, it'll just, it's this big kind of circle. It'll, the more, the more funding we get, the more survivors, the more advocacy, and we'll break through this, this stigma. Lynn, tell us, tell, tell me about your reaction to this conversation. Tell us about, you know, the, some of the stigmas that you perhaps felt or faced when you were diagnosed or when your sister uh, was diagnosed. You know, what was that like? What do you, what do you see in the lung cancer community? Um, I, the, the question of did you smoke, I get that all the time mm-hmm. when, when I tell people that I have lung cancer. Um, I, I, I envision, and I don't know if it will ever happen, but I envision, first of all, a better way of detecting early lung cancer, Um, sort of like the the, um, mammography and the other things they're coming up with to detect other, uh, the PSA test for prostate cancer, those kinds of things. But that's what I envision is an early way to find uh, any lung cancer, find it early before it's, at a place where you can't, it can't, you can't have surgery, those kinds of things. I um, talk to people that um, have cancer, not necessarily lung cancer. Um, there aren't a lot of us around that are survivors. Uh, yeah. We've had two in our group that, that our support group that had lung cancer that are have died. Yeah, and we're, I'm so blessed that I had it, my lung cancer in a place that it could be operated on. Many people have it. And it's in a place where they can't get to it. It's, yeah. it's inoperable. So I feel like that's one of the blessings that I've had is that it's, it's been taken out. Um, I know that's not a sure cure, but it, to me it feels better knowing that that cancer is out of me for now. Yeah. Well, and Lynn, you're, just, you're so right. As with, with all other major cancers, it's finding it and treating it early. At its most treatable and curable stages, removing it, getting it out of the body. Yeah. For well, me, that helps. Right. It's, it's, for me, that's real important is that you can get it out and hopefully it doesn't come back again. But it, when it metastasizes like it has to mine, then there's more areas you have to worry about, you know, mm-hmm. that, that can, can come back. But finding, I think that's the, the key thing is to find it early enough that it's in one place and you can remove it or 
treat it quickly. Right. So, so Lynn, you, you, you started to talk really a little bit about being a cancer survivor now and, um, and you know, kind of you talked about feeling kind of fortunate, you know, that you're at a place where the cancer could be operated on, could be treated. Um, how has this experience kind of changed you? How do you think about being a cancer survivor? You talked about, for example, you know, making a commitment to be more active, uh, you know, in your life. Did, did, did this experience make you look at life in a different way? Do you kind of smell the roses a little bit more? I mean, how has this experience impacted you, and how do you really think about being a cancer survivor? What does that mean for you? Yeah, um, I'm one of those people that a lot of people don't like to hear us say it was a blessing. For me, I feel like my cancer diagnosis was a blessing because mm-hmm. the way I was living my life was not a good way. It wasn't good for me to live that way, the way I was living. Mm-hmm. I've since changed much of that. Um, I am beginning to get more exercise, which is something I've always wanted to do, and mm-hmm. I just didn't have the... I didn't know how to do it, but through the wellness community, having this program called Active for Life, that has really motivated me. I am so really pumped up and, and really look forward to working, uh, walking and getting more exercise into my life. Um, cancer, so being a cancer survivor for me has been really good as far as the way I've begun to live my life in a way that's very beneficial to me and uh, hopefully to other people. I'm hoping I can, you know, share my story with other people and it's helpful for them. I I kind of have a little saying that I've had um, for a long time, even before the cancer diagnosis, that is expect the best and prepare for the worst. So you never know what's going to happen, but I I just want to, one of the prayers that I, in the morning, I'm a Buddhist, so in the morning when I do my chanting, Mm -hmm. one of the things that I say all the time is, I'm so thankful for the gift of good health and the gift of time that I have to spend with my family and to do what other other things I'd like to do. Wow. So inspiring, Lynn. Very blessed with that. Really inspiring, I think, to all of us. Um, Kay, we're going to go to a break in just a minute or two, but um, do you hear this from other people, Kay? Do you hear other people? Uh, you know, it's again, it's the, I think people would think, oh, my gosh, cancer is the worst thing that could ever happen to me, but you hear somebody like Lynn talking about it as a blessing and kind of as an eye-opener. Do you hear that from others, Kay? We do, and it is so, like you said, it's so inspiring. People have found such purpose through their lung cancer diagnosis, and they have formed bonds with other survivors, with their family and friends, and I'm I'm constantly amazed and in awe um, of of the human spirit, quite frankly. I mean, Lynn, you're just just hearing you talk and what you and your sister have gone through and how it's brought you all closer together. I mean, it's just really, really wonderful. So thank you for sharing all this. And, Lynn, do you think it strengthened your relationships with people? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, because I, I just look at people and I see them for what they are and I don't try to change them or uh, some people you relate to and you, you just stay with them and there's that connection that I feel like I can make, make more connections with people than I ever did before and that's very satisfying to me, very yeah. satisfying. Yeah. Uh, folks, November's National Lung Cancer Awareness Month. We're talking today about lung cancer. We're talking about the stigma of lung cancer. We're talking about the hope and inspiration 
uh, that people find through the cancer um, experience. We really have a couple of wonderful guests with us today. We're going to take a break, and we will be right back. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle coworkers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. For more than 25 years, the wellness community has been the nation's leader in providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at one of our 26 centers in the U.S. and abroad, the wellness community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-WELL or visit us online at www.thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. The Wellness Community, celebrating over 25 years of cancer support, education, and hope. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Wellness Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Millions of people in this country are affected by lung cancer, and today, in light of November being National Lung Cancer Awareness Month, we've been going over some really helpful information um, about the disease. Kay, you talked a little bit about the Lung Cancer Alliance, about uh, some of the uh, educational programs that you have, the outreach programs that you have. Uh, I know you're also doing um, quite a bit on the Hill. Uh, I want to talk a little bit, Kay, about the actions that people with lung cancer can take. Um, You know, whether it's being an advocate for yourself in terms of getting good information, whether it's being a, an advocate on, on, on Capitol Hill. What, you know, what, somebody like Lynn or some, some others with lung cancer say, look, I want to get involved in this national conversation. You know, what can I do? Or I've just been diagnosed. How do I find a doctor? You know, it's a real spectrum of, mm-hmm. of how people can really take action um, with lung cancer. Can you, can you talk about that a little bit, Kay? Sure. And I think when, when people come to us and they want to do more and they want to get involved, the first thing we ask, is what are your interests? Um, it, it is something as simple as going to your physician's office and putting up information about lung cancer. Um, people can help us raise awareness on the local levels in their local paper. We have a new campaign called the Hometown Faces of Lung Cancer. It's kind of similar to the American Express ad where you ask, we ask questions, you know, who's your hero, your favorite restaurant, and then we, we place them in, in local papers to, to again, raise awareness and, and debunk this stigma, show the true face of the disease. Um, in various states, we have volunteers in over 26 states who are working to secure. We don't raise money to give directly to research. What we're doing is trying to secure that public health funding mm-hmm. through government agencies. So, okay. <coughs> excuse me, in, in the states, we have advocates that are going to talk to their, their state legislators and have 
monies flow through the state into local research institutions. Mm -hmm. And then we mirror that here on the federal level. So people can come to our website, sign up for our mailing list, you know, receive our weekly email updates and kind of follow the progress that's being made by other advocates across the country and, and join in where, where their interest lies. Are you, do you have lung cancer uh, survivors going up to the hill, to Capitol Hill, Kay? We, we do. When, when any, whenever any of our volunteers or advocates come into town, we take them <laughs> to their to the senators and mm -hmm. their representatives' offices and, um, and have them share their story and, and really, again, put the face to the disease about the need for increased um, research. Anything specific, Kay, that you're working on now? Is there any specific piece of legislation that you're supporting or trying to get passed or legislation that's passed that you're trying to get funded? Anything specific that you want people to be aware of on the show today? Well, we um, were able to secure our top priority. The president passed into law $20 million for lung cancer research through the Department of Defense. So we're working on, on gaining signatures of thanks to the senators and representatives responsible. But also we saw the first piece of legislation introduced for lung cancer this year, um, the Lung Cancer Mortality Reduction Act. Mm -hmm. And we're working to secure co-sponsors through to the end of the year, um, and then we'll reintroduce it next year. So we'll need uh, we'll call on everyone again to help us contact their senators and representatives to support it. Oh, excellent. that's wonderful. Excellent, excellent. Um, Lynn, we're, we're starting to move towards the end of the show, um, and uh, your, your story is just amazing, and, and uh, your sharing and, and your openness has just been great and so inspiring. Um, if we have folks who are listening today who've just been diagnosed with lung cancer, maybe dealing with a recurrence, uh, what, what advice would you give them, having been through this now more than once, um, what advice would you give to our listeners today? Well, I, I would have to say that, you know, don't give up, and there is hope out there. And um, for support, if you, if you have a family member or many family members, children, husband, wife, brother, sister, whatever, you know, open up to them, talk with them. If that is something that is not working out for you or if you don't have those people around you, go to the a wellness community, and I can guarantee you there's a wealth of people there that will give you hope and support, and you'll find yourself changing, and you'll, you'll meet lots of supportive and caring people there, guaranteed. Wonderful. Kay, what about you? What advice would you give folks listening today? Um, my advice is, is to ask questions and to get as much information about your diagnosis and your available options as you can. And then once your health, if you are a survivor, is you know, is managed, then please speak up, speak out, um, and share the true face of the disease and get involved um, because we need all of your help to really make a difference. Okay, I know, I know that... Um... I know that one of the questions that we get sometimes here, and I'll bet you get it there as well, folks, someone's just been diagnosed with lung cancer and they want to know how to find a, the right doctor to help, you know, to help treat them or they want to perhaps go and get a, get a second opinion. What do you tell folks when they call and ask for help in finding a doctor? We, just because each doctor is so different, has different bedside manners, we don't necessarily refer to specific physicians. Uh-huh. 
but we do refer to um, the National Cancer Institute has their designated cancer centers, and these are places that, that have comprehensive teams in place. It's, it's kind of, not to minimize what they do, but a one-stop shop. So you yep. can go in there and you can have a tumor board, yep. review your case, and get that comprehensive care. Most people, when they do go for their second opinions, find that how they're being treated in, in their hometown hospital is how they would be treated at this larger cancer center yep. anyway. Yeah. But it's so it's for that peace of mind. So we, we refer to the NCI comprehensive cancer centers. Okay. All right. So bottom line here today, ladies, we're, we're telling folks to get educated. We're telling them to really do their research, get advice. Okay, I, I imagine... You guys encourage a second opinion. I know we do as well. Um, yeah. So we encourage folks to really get that good information if they feel like they need it. Get that second opinion. Get support. Get to get get to a place like the wellness community or other wonderful support programs that are around the country. Get support. Get connected to other people who are going through cancer, so you can have uh, the opportunity to really share and connect with others who are also going through a cancer experience. Um, so you know, great. It's great advice uh, from both of you. Um, you. You know, you've both been really um, terrific today. Uh, I, I just again, I want to thank our guest Lynn for sharing uh, about your own personal experience, your family's experience, and your experience at the Wellness Community. Kay, I want to thank you from the Lung Cancer Alliance, and I want to thank you and all of your team there at the Lung Cancer Alliance for for everything that you do um, to support all the folks out there who've been affected by by um, lung cancer. We talked a little bit earlier in the show. Um, about, uh, frankly speaking, about lung cancer. That's an educational program and a booklet uh, that have been developed by the wellness community and uh, by the Lung Cancer Alliance. Um, it is a fantastic booklet. It empowers people affected by lung cancer with information on treatment decision-making, on side effect management, on improving quality of life during and after diagnosis. And we're also grateful to the uh, American Lung Association for distributing uh, that booklet to different outlets across the country. Um, the wellness community has another educational booklet called Frankly Speaking About Small Cell Lung Cancer, which contains information to sp specific to people who've been uh, affected by small cell lung cancer, including treatment considerations, side effect management. Now, to order free copies of, uh, uh, of either of these booklets, frankly speaking about lung cancer, frankly speaking about small cell lung cancer, you can visit www.thewellnesscommunity.org or you can call our toll-free line, which is 888-793-WELL, W-E-L-L. Uh, to learn more about the Lung Cancer Alliance, uh, you can visit their website at www.lungcanceralliance.org or call their lung cancer information line, 800-298-2436. Um, I want to, again, thank our wonderful guests today for, for sharing, for, for good information, uh, for good advice. I know that our listeners uh, really learned a lot of valuable information from both of you, and I appreciate you sharing. Um, and since it is... Uh, lung Cancer Awareness Month, I want to dedicate today's show to all uh, people affected by lung cancer. And um, again, for, for information, for resources, visit www.thewellnesscommunity.org or visit uh, for our friends over at the Lung Cancer Alliance, uh, which is www.lungcanceralliance.org. Uh, Thanks again for listening. Uh, November's National Lung Cancer Awareness Month. We appreciate you being uh, here with us. And until next time, be well, do well, live well.
Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at thewellnesscommunity.org. That's thewellnesscommunity.org. Thank you.